You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome to the second of three editions of Lighthearted we're releasing this week for Cape Cod Week. We are once again coming to you from the semi-famous Study Room 3 of the Portsmouth Public Library in historic Portsmouth, New Hampshire. co-host again today is Michelle Jewell Shaw. How about another fun fact about Cape Cod, Michelle? No problem, Jeremy. The year-round population of Cape Cod, Massachusetts is about 216,000, but it swells by more than 250% to over 500,000 in the summer. Wow, that's right. You don't want to be caught in Friday afternoon traffic coming onto the Cape or Sunday afternoon traffic leaving the Cape. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me either, Jeremy. That's why year-round residents have Cape Cod Tunnel Pass stickers on their cars. There's actually no such thing as the Cape Cod Tunnel. The stickers are an attempt to confuse the tourists. Yeah, I'm tempted to say tourists are easily confused, but I've been a tourist many times in my life, so I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, On today's edition of Lighthearted, we're going to travel most of the length of Cape Cod to the town of Eastham. The town was originally settled by the Nauset tribe. In 1620, a hunting expedition comprised of some of the crew of the Mayflower, which had stopped in Provincetown Harbor on Cape Cod Bay, had their first meeting with the local Nauset people at First Encounter Beach. Today, East Ham is known as the gate to the Cape Cod National Seashore. Nauset Lighthouse in East Ham is one of the most popular icons of Cape Cod. When I mention it to people, most lighthouse buffs are familiar with it, But if people don't know what I'm talking about, I tell them it's the lighthouse on the Cape Cod potato chip bags. Then they know what I'm talking about. It's funny you say that, Jeremy, because whenever I mention that lighthouse, that's how I describe it as well. (laughs) Nauset Lighthouse also stands as a symbol of the battle so much of Cape Cod is fighting against coastal erosion. In 1996, the lighthouse had to be moved back about 300 feet from the edge of an eroding cliff to save it from oblivion. Today, Nauset Lighthouse is a private aid to navigation owned by the National Park Service and operated by the Nauset Light Preservation Society. The mission of the Nauset Light Preservation Society is to operate and maintain Nauset Lighthouse, the oil house, and the surrounding property to interpret the site to the public and to raise funds through memberships and donations to keep the lighthouse lit. A couple of months ago, I met in East Ham with Betsy Richards and Hawkins Conrad, two very important volunteers for the Nauset Light Preservation Society. Let's listen to that interview now. I am here in East Ham on Cape Cod today, and uh, we are at the East Ham United Methodist Church, and I'm here with Betsy Richards, the president of the Nauset Light Preservation Society, and also Hawkins Conrad, who was the organization's first president. Betsy and Hawk, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. I know it's kind of a long story. We don't have time to go into all the details. That would take uh, quite a while. But I know that Nauset Lighthouse originally had to be rescued back in 1993 when the Coast Guard announced it was going to be decommissioned. 
Hawk, you were there at the start, along with several other people, uh, including Harold Jennings, who I knew personally, uh, several people who founded the Nosolite Preservation Society at that time. Could you tell us a little bit of background about how it got started back then? Well, of course, uh, we had had some rumblings and warnings that the Coast Guard was considering uh, decommissioning uh, the lighthouse. And, of course, uh, that meant that they would probably have to uh, deconstruct the lighthouse to keep it from going over the edge. They would, wouldn't have allowed that. And uh, the, uh, they reached the conclusion, of course, that uh, it was not cost-effective to, to move the lighthouse. They seemed to be content to spend the amount of money it took to operate it for a while, but when it came, the backs were against the wall, when erosion was catching up to the lighthouse, and uh, so they did decide to decommission it. Of course, that has a great impact on the local uh, folks here. It's just uh, such a, a landmark, not only to us, but to everybody. That started a sort of a grassroots group to uh, save the lighthouse. Harold Jennings, as you said, was very instrumental and with some of his contacts with lighthouse organizations uh, in putting together a meeting. And uh, I was invited to the meeting because I was the president of the Historical Society in East Ham at the time. And somehow or other, <laughs> the need to move the lighthouse grew, and I found myself <laughs> elected president <laughs> Mm -hmm. and uh, faced with the job of raising enough money to move the lighthouse. Uh, we got the Coast Guard to let us have uh, weekend open houses, and they were very helpful in uh, aiding us in, in that. So we were running uh, open houses, collecting donations. We opened up a gift shop down in a little boathouse that uh, actually it was a garage that was uh, sat down by the the road leading up to the lighthouse mm -hmm. and uh, were selling all sorts of goods. Uh, Pamela Nobili was very uh, instrumental in making money for us with that uh, uh, gift shop. And so we were continuing and gradually building up money and had a lot of enthusiastic support from the community and just from uh, tourists that came right. to see the lighthouse. But then in the uh, January the 4th of uh, 1996, we had a tremendous northeaster. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, I went up to the lighthouse uh, after the storm and the snow whipping up the uh, banks leading up to the lighthouse. It actually packed snow under the underneath the catwalk of the lighthouse. And so uh, when we, uh, at the end of the storm, when we looked down at the bottom of the cliff, we could see we lost about 18 or 20 feet. And we had about 50 feet from the edge at that time. And we knew in a matter of a year or so that 20 feet was going to translate up to the top of the cliff as it all slumped out to regain its normal angle of rest. And... Uh, so we knew the time was very, very short to get the lighthouse moved. As it turned out, our uh, treasurer, George Abbott, happened to know of a program called Ice-T. 
and it was a fund that was uh, established to save old uh, railroad stations, uh, historic transportation items, and we figured a lighthouse would certainly qualify in that area. And uh, we got the grant that Massachusetts received from the federal government for in the ice tea program and gave us the money that we all the money we needed to move the lighthouse mm-hmm. and uh, that guess all the money we had raised to that point allowed us to renovate the lighthouse yeah. after it was moved yeah. so we signed a contract with the uh, international chimney yeah. company uh, who had been moving lighthouses and in fact was in the process of moving the lighthouse at Truro. Right. And when they got through with that, they just moved the crew down to where we were and uh, moved our lighthouse for us. Yeah. Yours was kind of a piece of cake compared to the one in Truro. Yes, they called it a piece of cake. Because <laughs> I, think, I think they rigged for, they estimated I think for about 80 tons and rigged for about 100 yeah, uh, tons. I remember that really well in November '96 when the lighthouse was moved. Uh, I I followed the whole thing pretty closely, and I actually came uh, the day the move was completed here uh, of Nasset Lighthouse. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think it went a little bit smoother and faster than everybody expected. So when I came, I was hoping to see some of the actual process, but it was all finished by the time I got here. So. <laughs> Uh, I saw uh, some of the celebration after it was was finished. I remember how happy everybody was. It really was an amazing accomplishment. You must have been so happy when that when that was all completed. Oh yes, um, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they they just took about about one work day yeah. to get the whole job done. They started moving at about four o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, when it moved, it gave a trembled back and forth quite a bit, mm-hmm. and everybody gasped. But then it settled down, and they moved it across in front of the keeper's house, yeah. and then made a left turn, came down the edge of the uh, of the lot, and stopped at the bottom of the hill, uh, so that they could uh, the next day they were going to drop the power lines that would have to be crossed. Yeah. And so the next morning they dropped the power lines, came brought it out on the blacktop road, and up the driveway that they had established up over its new location mm-hmm. and then the most difficult part of the whole thing was they had made a u-turn in the process of course of moving the lighthouse so it had to be turned 180 degrees around in one place uh, which involved a whole lot of bulldozers pushing and tugging and bumping up against things and uh but they did manage to do a 180-degree turn, yeah. get it centered, of course, over the new where the new foundation was going to be, and then they held it at the right height while they uh, did brickwork up from the footings up to the uh, foundation of the lighthouse. Right. I should mention for listeners who might not know, Nosset Lighthouse is a cast-iron lighthouse, and also shorter than some of the other lighthouses that have been moved, including Highland Light or Cape Cod Light and North Truro on Cape Cod, which is a tall brick tower, uh, and Cape Hatteras Lighthouse in North Carolina, which is a very over 200 feet tall, the tallest lighthouse in the country. 
uh, was also moved by International Chimney. And Block Island, Southeast Lighter Rhode Island, is a massive brick structure, which was they also moved in 1993. Yeah. So Nosset Lighthouse is a smaller cast iron tower. So it was, it, not that it was easy or anything like that, but compared to those those massive brick towers, it was yes. an easier project. Much easier. And, of course, one thing that both people don't realize is that uh, Nosset Light, as were most of them on Cape Cod, uh, built for north-south traffic, mm-hmm. intercoastal traffic, basically, and built to keep people from running a, a foul of the sandbars that set up off right. the shore. And uh, Island Light, mm-hmm. by comparison, also serves as an east-west, in other words, transatlantic uh, light that would be raised. So even though it was up on a high bluff to begin with, uh, it was made very tall, so it would be seen much further right. out to sea than Nosset Light has. Very true, yeah. Now, erosion continues to be a problem at Nosset Light Beach. How endangered would you say the lighthouse is at this point? And could you take a, I know it's a wild guess, but could you take a guess at how long it might be before the lighthouse will need to be moved again? Well, we were we were guessing about 70 years yeah. uh, when we moved it. We did have a bit of a squabble with the uh, seashore who wanted to move it to an extremely safe location, way back on a hill, far away from the ocean and in the woods. And uh, we said, that's <laughs> not a place that you would put a lighthouse. And so we prevailed upon uh, a location just about three or 400 yards back uh uh, to the rear, and uh, on a terrain feature that was almost identical to one that it was originally sitting on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we had a, a meeting uh, with the seashore and uh, the townspeople, and uh, we put up the several options that were being offered, and uh, lo and behold, all the townspeople uh, sided with us, and so the seashore accepted the place that we wanted to move to. And I guess the fact that we were paying the bill also had a good bit to do with it. Betsy, I'd like to turn to you at this point. There aren't many lighthouses. Really, it's a pretty small minority of lighthouses in New England that are open on any kind of regular basis. And it's a great thing. I think it's really wonderful that Nosset Lighthouse is open pretty often. You have frequent open houses for the public. Can you tell us, Betsy, a little bit about how the open houses work and tell us, I know uh, we're going to be featuring this uh, interview on our podcast uh, in July, uh, I believe about mid-July, but could you talk a little bit about your general open house schedule this year? Well, we always start our official tours on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. It, It seems to be a time when lots and lots of people come to the seashore um, to get their first glimpse of the ocean for the year. And so we did, as usual, we opened on, on Mother's Day, May 12th, and then we continued to have summer tours every Sunday straight through the end of October. But the timing changes in the summer, and we also have uh, weekdays, um, certain weekdays during June, July, and August, and September, um, when we're open. And so not to uh, labor this issue, I would refer you to our website 
nossetlight.org, mm-hmm. where you'll get the the, uh, the detailed information sure. about our schedule. And we're very happy to have more volunteers over the last couple of years, so we'll be able to um, to have these more open houses um, during during the uh, course of the summer. That is really great. About how many volunteers do you have? Do you know? We have, um, and counting the board members um, and the other volunteers, we have approximately twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and each year we usually are able to find two or three more yeah. who are interested. Uh-huh. Um, and the way it works, we always have at least two volunteers uh, at any open house. Sure. Uh, one person stays at the base and one person um, goes up to the watch room and we kind of give different historic talks um, in, in the two places. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it works out very well because, especially in the summer, we even have three volunteers sometimes, two at the base, because we get just literally several hundred people. They get very upset if they can't get upstairs right away, and uh, so we kind of have to control the group and talk to different groups as before they can go up. Yeah. Well, that's really, you know, thank you to you and all the volunteers who do that. It's it's really a great thing. Uh, do you know about how many visitors a year, an approximate number that you get at the open houses? Um, this past October, because we do this for the National Seashore, we, we um, have to report to them um, a variety of things about the, out, the lighthouse um, operation during the course of the year. And... Last year, from October to October, um, it was approximately 7,000 visitors. Wow. Um, a number of those are school groups or outside groups who mm-hmm. who uh, contact us. And uh, we also have weddings there sometimes. And uh, a variety of, of special groups come from near and far. Yeah. We have people coming from all over the world, and it's a lot of fun to ask them where they come from um, if you don't know from their accent. <laughs> and they often have great stories to tell about lighthouses where they come from, too. I'll bet. And from many other countries, I'm sure. Many as countries well. all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Now, I understand you also have something called a full moon tour in the fall. Uh, yes, right every October on the day of full moon. Um, we have an evening open house from 6.30 to 8.30. Um, this year it will be on Sunday, October 13th. And, uh, so far since we've, um, had this full moon tour for some five, six years, perhaps more, we have not really had to cancel because of rain. We don't guarantee that you'll see the moon. It might be cloudy. But we've been very fortunate, and when that full moon comes out over the lighthouse and you have a big gathering of, of people there, it's very spectacular. Mm, I'll bet it is. Uh, I just want to go back over a little history quickly. Uh, of course, there are originally three lighthouses in East Ham, established in 1838. It was the only place in the United States where three lights were uh, established. Uh, originally to differentiate the station from the single light in North Truro and the double lights down the coast at Chatham. The three small lighthouses were nicknamed the Three Sisters of Nosset, 
uh, and the original towers were replaced by new ones in 1892. And the 1892 Three Sisters were eventually sold into private ownership that were later bought back by the National Park Service. They were restored, and they're now on a site on Cable Road, which is a short walk down a trail from Nosset Lighthouse, and there are volunteer National Park Service guides. So I do want to point out that there's really a lot for lighthouse buffs to see when they visit Nosset Light. I don't know if either of you want to uh, make any further comment on that, but it's really a, a, a great lighthouse site because you get four lighthouses for your for your buck <laughs> when you visit. I might say, for your buck, we don't charge anything. Right for your for your <laughs> We've no buck. We've always felt that people who come to the lighthouse will come for a variety of reasons. Some just because of curiosity, they've never been to a lighthouse before. And the kid, they and the kids are just coming up from the beach, and so they'll stop by. Those people have a rather uh, shallow <laughs> expectation mm-hmm. of a lighthouse. And then you've got the diehard lighthouse buffs that come around, and they'll question you for hours if you let them uh, about all the aspects of the lighthouse. So we figure that people's expectations when they come are so varied that it's and it also is a nice thing for somebody to have something on Cape Cod that doesn't cost them anything. Right. Now you don't charge anything, but is there a, a way people can make donations when they visit? I assume oh, there's some sort of absolutely. mechanism for that. <laughs> I'm sure you welcome donations if people want to throw a dollar or maybe even more yes, than that into it. In people are very generous. I think we probably do better by not charging than we would if we charge them something. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a way through your website. Do you have uh, memberships in the organization? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, you can access all the information uh, through our uh, nosetlight.org. You mm-hmm. can get to membership. You can get to our Facebook, um, our history, just about anything you'd like to know. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I would add about our tours, not only do we not charge, but there is no height limitation. I know at some lighthouses you have to be um, a certain height, I guess, for safety reasons um, in order to climb, but we don't have that uh, limitation here. Okay. I do want to mention also uh, when people are in the area, they can visit the Cape Cod National Seashore Salt Pond Visitor Center on Route 6 in East Ham. Uh, There's a lot of great exhibits in there, including the old Fourth Order Fresnel Lens from Nosset Light. It's also a nice uh, nature trail people can uh, take, uh, can walk uh, around there on a nice day. Well, thank you so much, Betsy Richards and Hawkins Conrad, for spending time with me today. Nosset Light is a beautiful and historic lighthouse. It's a gorgeous area here on Cape Cod. And again, thank you so much. Now it's time for our Lighthouse History segment. Last time we went over the first couple of years of the history of the first lighthouse in the British colonies in North America, Boston Light. That's right, and we're going to pick up where we left off. We told you how the first two keepers of Boston Light, George Worthy Lake and Robert Saunders, both drowned in 1718. The next keeper, John Hayes, took over at a meager salary of 50 pounds a year in 1718. His pay would be raised to 85 pounds by 1720. 
1719, Hayes noted the need for some kind of fog signal. He asked that, quote, a great gun may be placed on the said island to answer ships in a fog, end quote. A cannon, America's first fog signal, was placed on the island in 1719. Passing ships would fire their cannons when passing nearby in times of fog, and the keeper would reply with a blast from the light station. The cannon served on Little Brewster Island for 132 years. In 1962, it was moved to the Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut. In 1993, it was returned by helicopter to Little Brewster Island, and the venerable fog cannon, the first fog signal on the North American continent, is displayed today on a new carriage inside the entryway to the lighthouse tower. The lighthouse was struck by lightning on several occasions in its early history, including an instance in June 1754 when lightning tore off shingles from the tower. The installation of a lightning rod was delayed because of the objections of some people who thought it, and I quote, vanity and irreligion to presume to avert the stroke of heaven, end quote. Practicality eventually won out and a lightning conductor was installed. In July 1775, Boston Harbor and the lighthouse were under the control of the British. On July 20th, American troops landed at the lighthouse and took lamps, oil, and some gunpowder and burned the wooden parts of the tower. After leaving the island, they had to outrun an armed British schooner and two Americans were wounded. An eyewitness described, quote, the flames of the lighthouse ascending up to heaven like grateful incense and the ships wasting their powder, end quote. As the British worked to repair the tower, 300 American soldiers landed on the island on July 31st. They easily defeated the British guard and again burned the lighthouse. As they tried to leave, they found their boat stranded as the tide had gone out. This gave British vessels time to reach the scene. The Americans finally managed to launch their boats as the British fired upon them. American troops at Nantasket and Hull helped by firing a cannon, landing a direct hit on one of the British vessels. This turned the tide of battle and the Americans escaped with only one soldier having been killed. General George Washington praised the men for their gallant and soldier-like behavior. Then at the end of their occupation of Boston Harbor during the war, the British lingered in the harbor for some months. On June 13, 1776, a British boat went ashore at Little Brewster Island. The soldiers set a timed charge that blew up the lighthouse. The remains of the metal lantern were reportedly used to make ladles for American cannons. It has also been claimed that part of the original tower was incorporated into the second one. Recent restoration has shown that the stones in the lowest part of the tower are different from the upper part so it's very possible that the bottom part does survive from 1716. Boston Light we know today was built in 1783 with a 15-foot brick addition added in 1859. So even though it's the oldest light station in America, the lighthouse that stands today is the second oldest standing lighthouse tower in the country. The oldest is Sandy Hook Lighthouse in New Jersey at the entrance to New York Harbor. Sandy Hook Lighthouse was built in 1764. In the next edition of Lighthearted, we'll discuss the various kinds of apparatus and illuminants that were used before the important invention of the Fresnel lens. It's time now for our trivia question. As always, it helps if you've listened to all of today's edition of Lighthearted. What is today's question, Michelle? 
Name two lighthouses on Cape Cod that have been moved by the International Chimney Corporation. Again, name two lighthouses on Cape Cod that have been moved by the International Chimney Corporation. The first person to answer correctly gets a copy of the book, Lighthouses of America, published in association with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. It's a beautiful 176-page hardcover book featuring stunning photographs of lighthouses across the country taken by society photographers. The second person to answer correctly gets an official U.S. Lighthouse Society passport. The Lighthouse Passport Program provides enthusiasts with the opportunity to help preserve lighthouses as well as a wonderful way to keep a pictorial history of their lighthouse adventures. You can learn more about the Passport Program at uslhs.org. To enter, send your answer in an email to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Be sure to say you're answering the trivia question in Lighthearted Episode 12. And again, send it in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y at U-S-L-H-S dot O-R-G. And again, the first two people to answer correctly will win prizes. That wraps up this edition of Lighthearted. We'll be back with one more edition later this week for Cape Cod Week, so be sure to listen for that. Be sure to check out the U.S. Lighthouse Society website at uslhs.org for information on memberships and tours and lots of other interesting things. Also check out the USLHS news blog at news.uslhs.org, which includes the Lighthouse News of the Week on Fridays and other original content. There are also the USLHS social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And many thanks, as always, to the volunteers and staff of the USLHS at Point No Point in Washington and around the United States. Of course, thanks to our guests, Betsy Richards and Hawkins Conrad of the Nosset Light Preservation Society. You can check them out online at nossetlight.org. And thank you so much to my co-host, Michelle Jewell-Shaw. Thanks, Jeremy. Until next time. Keep a good light. Keep a good light.